Today I start a new sermon series called New Hope. Because it's the new year, and raise your hand if you've got some resolutions you want to start. I'm so proud of you. There's just a, you're like, I haven't, I don't, no, yes, I should, but no, I'm not. That's what I saw in the crowd. Good for you. Um, this, uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, my family and I got to, to visit our families back up in New England, and um, I got to be reminded of a story that I knew I want to share it with you. There's a man named George who grew up in Puerto Rico, but then moved to New York City. His family was still in Puerto Rico. And in New York City, he found the wrong crowd. Uh, living in Brooklyn and the Bronx, that wrong crowd led from one thing to another. And finally, uh, his drug of choice became heroin. And the heroin completely overwhelmed his life. So if you're doing heroin, if you've ever been addicted to drugs, and there's some of you here that have, are coming out of addiction or you're still struggling through addiction, you know that you hide. You hide as much as you can. You do everything you possibly can to get that drug. And so if you could imagine what it would be like for someone in New York, it's really easy to hide. But at some point, Jesus did something to confront George about his addiction. His addiction was confronted by someone from a group called Teen Challenge. Someone from Teen Challenge had the boldness to come up to George in the middle of his addiction and welcome him to some new hope. If you can imagine someone that's hooked on heroin, seeing new hope out of that cloud of addiction, out of being so overwhelmed with probably a a place of poverty, I don't know what it took for George to take that step of desperation to say, I want something different, but he did. And he joined up with this organization and got clean. Not only did he get clean, but he really not just found Jesus, but he embraced Jesus, started following Jesus. Now, somebody else that was serving at Teen Challenge was a a girl named Grace, a young woman named Grace. And George and Grace got to know one another. Uh, George was clean. Grace had come from a pastor. He was a PK, a pastor's kid. And they got to know one another, and they eventually got married. If you can imagine, the story of New Hope, and it, it sounds really sweet, but it didn't stop there. See, George and Grace, as they continued to discover Jesus, Jesus told them about some other ways that he was loving the world. And uh, Manchester, New Hampshire came to mind. And in Manchester, New Hampshire were a bunch of other people, especially young women that were addicted to heroin. And so Jordan Grace packed up all of their belongings, which wasn't much from Brooklyn, and um, (laughs) they moved to Manchester, New Hampshire to start a girl's home called New Life. And that girl's home has now been around for 40 years. George and Grace started this girl's home. It's grown, and now hundreds of young women with their families have gone through this home and have gotten free from addiction. This is what happens when new hope gets introduced to people who are trapped, who are enslaved, who don't know what to do, who are in such a cloud that only Jesus could free them. And maybe you don't see yourself in that place this morning, but surely there are ways that you're coming this morning where you need something more. It's not about the New Year's resolution anymore. It's about getting free so that God can do what he wants with you, so you can join him in his purposes. The old hope is that we can hide or avoid or just get better in order to get through life. That's the old hope. I want to introduce you to the new hope this morning, which is grace, undeserved mercy, God's salvation, It's available for you this morning. 
I was fortunate to hear George and Grace's story throughout my life because, to me, they're Uncle George and Auntie Grace. So every Christmas, we got to go to the New Life home, and all these women, and I don't know where they were in the process of recovery, but they just loved on me as a little kid growing up. And I felt weird because I knew where they were, they've been, but they just loved on me. It was awesome. And what I learned is that when God touches somebody's life, no matter where they're at, this grace, this undeserved mercy really does transform lives. This is the new hope we're talking about this morning. It's more than a New Year's resolution. But let me tell you, a new year is a good excuse to look to new hope. A new year is a good excuse to look to new hope. The story I've told you about George and Grace, it's absolutely real. And the next story I'm going to tell you is just as real. It just comes from the scriptures. It comes from John chapter 4, verse 4. This is a story about Jesus and how he meets a woman who is in need of just as much hope as someone on heroin. Just like you and me. I'm going to read from you from John chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Jesus, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He was traveling. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the fathers of the Jewish nation. So this uh, field is to Jacob, historically, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well, about noontime. So some history. You may have heard the statement before, the Good Samaritan. Raise your hand if you've heard the Good Samaritan before. All right, so when we talk about Samaria, we're talking about the place where the Good Samaritan comes from. But it's ironic because the Good Samaritan is sort of a joke that Jesus is playing on religious people. Samaritans are not like the Jews. Samaritans were there if you know anything about uh, the story of Israel, they once went to captivity in Babylon. And when they came back to Israel, when they were freed, guess who was there? The Samaritans. And guess what the Samaritans said? This is not your land. This is our land. We're the real children of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are, those are our forefathers. They're not your forefathers. You went to slavery. Those are our forefathers, not yours. So the Samaritans are not holy people. They're not like the Jews. And so for Jesus to stop in Samaria is a big, you know, political issue as itself. But he's also doing something here. He's stopping at the well at noontime. The Samaritans are not people that Jesus should be hanging out with, but he is hanging out with them. Worse then is what happens next. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. This is in the middle of the day that a Samaritan woman came to draw water. This is not when Samaritan women come to draw water. If you need water for the day, when do you go? In the morning. But she was going in the middle of the day. And Jesus says something to this woman. So Jesus is doing something wrong again. Not only is he speaking to a Samaritan, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Ooh. But in this time, this is absolutely heretical. This is not what Jesus should be able to do. And here he is. He's saying to this Samaritan woman, and he's, now he's asking something. He's not just talking to her. He's requesting her service to a woman, a Samaritan. Please give me a drink, he said. He was alone with this woman. 
because his disciples had gone to the village to buy food, the woman was surprised. Of course she was. She knows the social situation that's going on. She's a Samaritan woman. She's alone. There's this Jewish man. He's alone. What are people going to think? She was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. She confronts him. She says, you are crazy. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Why would Jesus do this? Why would he cross the political boundaries, the gender boundaries? Why would he get into an awkward social situation that might ruin his career? You've heard enough, if you're familiar with religion enough, that holy men of God get into trouble when they're alone with women. Jesus is risking his reputation. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift... God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This is something like what I did with my wife on my first date with her. I asked at the end of the date, do you think that we could go places? And you know what she said? We've already gone to the movies and pizza. Where else do you want to go? <laughs> and so Jesus, being very creative with his words, if you only knew the gift of God. And she says, you don't have a bucket or water. What are you talking about? This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? I want you to see the word living here. This living water in the Aramaic that it's written in actually means something like running water, healthy water, alive water. When she says, where are you going to get living water? It's like, where are you going to get the fresh water that comes from the glaciers and the mountains? The freshness, the coolness, the thing that makes you feel like you're alive. Where are you going to get this from, she says. And besides, now she, she makes a religious argument. Do you think that you're better than, greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Do you think the living water you can give me is better than our ancestors? She's making a religious argument for herself, by the way. My ancestors. She's getting into a religious argument. You don't know anything about that. It doesn't happen on Twitter or Facebook. or You've never seen that, but here it is. How can you offer better than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, if anyone drinks this water... This water from this well, this well from your historical religion, if you'll drink this, you'll become thirsty again. But those who drink water I give will never be thirsty again. The water I give becomes fresh, bubbling, like a spring within them, giving them eternal life. She said, please, sir, give me this water, and I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. I want you to see this for just a moment. Why would this woman say that she doesn't want to come to the well to get water anymore? People go to the well to get water. Why was she saying she doesn't have to get water? What's the problem? She's thinking very well of this well. This is Jacob's well. It's the ancestor's well. It's a good well. Why, why is she trying to avoid the well? Well, because it's in the middle of the day. Something's wrong. Women shouldn't be traveling alone. Who would she be traveling with? 
family members maybe, maybe friends, maybe other women in the town that she raised her kids with. They would go to the well together in the morning. They would gather the water. It would be a social occasion. They'd gossip about the day. You don't learn anything about that. But Jesus, Jesus knows that there's something going on, and she starts to reveal, I don't want to come here anymore. This is awkward for me. New hope confronts old hopes that have been stopping us. This woman's old hope is that she could come in the middle of the day and get water and avoid all of those other women. She's got baggage. Sorry, I'm taking off this backpack. She's got baggage. Why would a woman be coming in the middle of the day by herself? Why wouldn't she want to go to the well anymore? How many people have you met in your life that sometimes they say things and and you wish you had more time with them to get into the conversation? Maybe a cashier or maybe a neighbor, and they say something, they tease at the burden that they're carrying, but you don't really have the capacity to engage with them. Here the woman slips. She slips and she says, I don't want to come here and get those water anymore. And Jesus doesn't let it go. And he becomes confrontative, confrontational. And he may even sound rude to some of us, but he says, go and get your husband. And Jesus told her, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. And you've had five husbands. And the man that you're with right now you're not even married to. You certainly spoke the truth. Jesus is kind of a jerk here, isn't he? This woman, suffering in the heat, going to gather water alone. She doesn't have a friend in the world to chat with along the way. There's no one that would meet her at the well. She's avoiding everybody she can. And Jesus really, really spikes her. The woman, if you could imagine her position, who knows what you would say, but she says, Sir, you must be a prophet. She's revealing that he's right without confronting, you know, revealing what he's confronted directly. You must be a prophet. But instead of being vulnerable with her position, she she stays religious. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at the Mount uh, Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? This is the equivalent of you being confronted about your stuff, and you say back, yeah, but aren't all Christians hypocrites? 
That's how men speak. I wasn't trying to be a woman there. Aren't you Christians? You ever done that before? Somebody calls you on your stuff and you go, yeah, but you too. We turn into five-year-olds with our best ammunition of, nuh-uh. I'm not the only one that sins. And here she goes with her religious arguments. You know what I saw on the news about the Methodists and the Catholics? You know those priests? That's why I don't go to church. You must be a prophet, but you religious folks. Here she is making an argument that religion is worthless because people argue about where, which mountain to worship on. And she's not wrong, exactly, but she's deflecting. Because Jesus doesn't care about religion here, does he? He cares about her. Jesus replied, believe me, woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans very, know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. He's making religious back arguments back at her. He's being rude. It's amazing confrontation. You never see it today. For salvation comes through the Jews, right? But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The mountains won't matter anymore. The denominations won't matter anymore. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus saw her backpack full of burdens, and he knew exactly what was going on and said, Hey, what do you think you're doing? Not only do you have, you're having an affair right now. You had an affair before. You had an affair before that. You had an affair before that. I think there was one more. Woman, you're carrying this burden around, and the reason why you're carrying it is because all you care about is religion. And all that religion tells you is that you better hide it, because all the religious people around you avoid you, curse you, won't go to the well with you, won't talk to you about your stuff. The religion that you're trying to avoid your stuff with has created a wall not just between you and God, but between you and other people. One of my favorite theologians, his name is N.T. Wright, and he makes the argument against people that say that religion is just for people, that it's like they're being brainwashed, and he says, no, that's not it. He said, if anything, it's our surrounding culture that brainwashes us, persuading us in a thousand subtle ways that present the world is the only one there is. Of course, the old hopes that we carry around are that we have to hide our stuff because we've gotten so good at attacking one another with our religious stuff, avoiding our baggage. It's seldom argued, he says. Rather, a mood is created in which it seems so much easier to go with the flow Everybody here carrying their baggage, going into the new year, maybe even making New Year's resolutions, but not dealing with your stuff. That's what happens in brainwashing, he says. What the gospel does and what Jesus does here is to administer a sharp jolt 
Jesus is rude, isn't he? But he has to because she's brainwashed. If Jesus didn't confront her about her stuff, she would have kept going to the well in the middle of the day for the rest of her life, living under the weight of shame. And he loves us too much to let us carry this around for the rest of our lives. He administers a sharp jolt to shine a bright light to kickstart the brain and the moral sensibility into working properly for the first time. Whatever situation you've got yourself into, whether it's just affected you or whether it's affected somebody else, this is not the end. Your baggage does not have to be your baggage for the rest of your life. You can be free. This is the new hope. The old hope is that you have to carry it and hide it. The new hope is that Jesus comes, sometimes rudely, administers a sharp jolt and wakes us up because he's done with us hiding. That's not what we were meant for. We were meant for hope. No matter how ashamed we are, we were meant for hope. That's what grace is. If you've ever heard the word grace, it is undeserved mercy. And it begins every morning. And that's what happens with this woman. New hope has no prerequisites. And Jesus introduces them to her. Even though she fights it. She's fought with religion. Now she fights in maybe the saddest way. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. You've heard this from your friends. Things are so dire that they just say, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. When we all get to heaven, God will explain it all. And I don't know what to do. I'm just... I need to just put that back in my backpack. I just don't, I don't. When we all die, God will figure it out. Well, let me tell you what Jesus says here. He says, I am the Messiah. This is not end of the world Messiah time. This is here and now Messiah time. You know what Messiah means? Savior. I grew up with a song by a guy named Rich Mullins, and I would cry in my worst times singing the song over and over again. And he just champions the song. And he does it with children in a chorus. And he says, my deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is standing by. And where this moment this woman says, one day I'll have a deliverer, but it can't happen now. Jesus says, I am here. And I am here for you. There was a prophecy about what Jesus would do back in Isaiah chapter 43, 19. God says through the prophet, I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. 
I don't know what you come with in your backpack this morning. I don't know if it's addiction to a drug. Maybe you've been drinking too much. Maybe it's pornography. You're trapped. Maybe you have had an affair and that's still weighing on you. Maybe Netflix has taken the attention away from your family. Maybe the video games have kept you from going to work sometimes. Maybe there's just shame in your life that you don't know what to deal with. Shame from your past. Shame that you could never tell anybody about. And it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. We're not supposed to live like this. If there's been religion in your history that's told you that you're just supposed to shove it in your backpack and carry it for the rest of your life, this is not who Jesus is and it's not what Jesus says. And Jesus never confronts without having a plan. Jesus himself as Savior invites us to confront our stuff because he has a way forward. And it's called grace. Jesus, not religion, has undeserved mercy available through him. He is the Messiah. Our deliverer has come. So when Jesus jolts this woman like he jolts us and says, you've got stuff in your backpack, and I know you've got plans for your life, but working harder or a New Year's resolution is not going to solve the problem. It's time to let the undeserved mercy of God, the grace of God, wash over every single weight that you have. So it's not a weight in your backpack anymore. It's a path, a foundation that allows you not just to walk farther, but stronger and taller. With Jesus, we don't carry our burdens anymore. We walk on them. Heroin's got you beat. In the grace of God, it becomes a path where we share the salvation of God just like George and Grace have done and hundreds more get saved. If heroin stays in the backpack, it just weighs us down. You got problems with pornography? We've got a men's group where all of a sudden that becomes a freedom where you step on and everybody else gets free because you've said, this is what I'm struggling with. You're addicted to Netflix, video games, not eating right. Fan finances are a mess. You're embarrassed about your past. Children, you're going driving you crazy. You don't know how to parent them. Your marriage is a wreck. And in the grace of Jesus, his undeserved mercy makes them all a foundation for salvation, not just for us, but for the rest of the world. In this community, that's not based on religion. It's based on Jesus and his salvation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of our sins, when he grabs them from our backpack, become the foundation for our salvation, not just for us, but for our entire community. 
I love New Year's resolutions. I've got some myself. But do not let those resolutions come without dealing with what you're carrying. The, birth, the first and best resolution you could ever have is allowing the grace of God to wash over what you've been carrying. This is the best resolution. Our deliverer and savior is here and he's confronting us with a jolt because he's got a plan and he wants us free. Do you want it? What are you bringing in your backpack this morning? Are you ready to let Jesus take it and make it a foundation stone that saves you and saves your world? Would you stand with me this morning? There's a simple chorus. Some of you know. You could sing it with me if you want. But I think it, it's about the best prayer that I think we could have right now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. One more time, I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I want to do something just a little bit different this morning. Prayer teams, if you would come up, and worship team, if you would come. Not to the corner, worship teams, would you come up front this morning? There's something about being in a community that says, I've got bricks in my backpack and I don't want them in there anymore. I don't want to walk into this new year carrying this. I want Jesus and his grace to take it. These prayer teams are up front this morning and I would invite you as you come up to them in a moment of celebration and victory 
to just put your foot on one of these bricks as you walk by as it represents receiving the grace of God. And as you do this morning, as you come up and you respond and you say, I'm one of those people, John. I'm one of those that's been carrying the weight of my sin and shame for too long. And I want the grace of God to make it a foundation, not just in my life, but for my family and our community. You could just stand on it as you come by. Come up to our prayer team and let them pray for you. And if there's not a prayer team available for you, you can just wait at one of these bricks and somebody will come up to you and pray for you. The grace of God is here for you. It's undeserved mercy. He wants us free. Would you pray a prayer with me that begins this process that we all need to pray from time to time? It's up on the screen in Spanish and in English. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for things I've done wrong in my life. Would you just take a minute and recognize what's in between you and Jesus? And can we say together, in the confidence of God's mercy and grace, please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you who died on the cross for me so I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you have the boldness now to come for prayer? Come as the worship team continues in a song. Come, come to a prayer team.